back to another episode of the Employee Experience Exchange. This series is brought to you by Benefex, and throughout the series we'll be exploring all things organisational culture, employee experience and the future of work. I'm Grace Burton, Research Lead for Employee Experience here at Benefex, and today I'm joined by the one and only Lucy Adams. Lucy has held HR leadership positions at Serco and Eversheds before a five-year tenure at the BBC, and since leaving the BBC, Lucy has founded Disruptive HR to provide training, consulting and coaching for HR professionals to help them think differently and adapt their practices for a changing world. Lucy is our closing speaker at Exchange, the employee experience event in London on May 24th, and I'm thrilled to have her with us today to set the scene and let us know what to expect from her session. Hello, so it's really lovely to be with you today. I am, I like to describe myself as a recovering HR director. <laughs> uh, I've, uh, I've been in uh, fairly senior HR roles uh, for probably the last 20 years of my career. And I was uh, HR director of Serco, uh, so big, you know, multinational corporate. I was HR director of a leading law firm. And then most recently, I was the HR director of the BBC. And I just got so frustrated with my own profession. You know, I got so bored with the way that we were doing things, uh, really tired old processes and things that I could see were just not really working. And so along with a colleague of mine, Karen Moran, we set up Disruptive HR about three years ago now. And we set out to find new and different ways of delivering HR, of helping people think differently, but also providing kind of practical things that they can do. And uh, we've been doing that for, yeah, for three years now. Brilliant. And do you prefer the brave new world rather than the old old time of your career? I love it. I really love it. I mean, I, um, you know, it takes some getting used to, you know, I've gone from being in an organisation where, where I had a team of about 500 people to suddenly having to do all my own stuff. <laughs> and uh, and that's interesting. It's, you know, it's obviously a change having to think about uh, revenue generation and cash flow and, and all of that kind of stuff. But what I love is the variety. And, and also, it's just such an exciting time for HR now. So we're meeting really interesting people working with some great clients who are genuinely up for doing th- something different. So I guess you wouldn't have founded a sort of HR and you probably wouldn't have written your book if it wasn't for the all of the events that happened leading up to it. Do you sort of, would you change any of that or does that all help towards the way you work your clients now? Um, So I think that the five years that I was at the BBC were instrumental to me coming to some conclusions that things needed to change. It wasn't until after I'd left that I really was able to reflect on how things could be done differently. And whilst I was there, you know, we had unbelievable change that was going on, some really positive stuff, you know, the kind of whole move to digital uh, media, the way that we consume media now, having a massive impact on the way that 
we needed to uh, recruit and train um, and have our staff working together. Um, we also had some very difficult changes to manage. We had you know, big productivity challenges. We had to take 20% off our cost base. Um, we had reputational crises like the Savile crisis and one that I was wrapped up in, which was the severance to uh, execs. We had a need for greater collaboration between, say, television and uh, online, um, a whole raft of different challenges and changes that we were wrestling with. And I just got to a place where I just couldn't see how what we were doing with our performance reviews and our talent nine box grids and our annual engagement surveys and so on, I couldn't reconcile what we were doing in HR with what were the needs of the leaders and the people at the BBC, which was to be more agile, more innovative, more productive, more collaborative. Um, and so it wasn't really until after I left the BBC that I started to really look around for different ways of doing things. But certainly my frustrations uh, with my own profession were as a result of my time there. Sure. And, and you're, you're really upfront with um, the challenges that you think there are to the profession. How do you find that received with, with your honesty? Um, very positively. I mean, there's always going to be a group of, of people who are very defensive and protective of the status quo. That That's um, that's the same with any kind of change. It can be uncomfortable. Sure. But the vast majority of HR people I meet, they know. They know that what they're doing is not delivering. Um, and it's uncomfortable to admit it. But once they have, then I find them very open to uh, new new ideas. There's obviously lots of barriers that they face and they're worried about that but the idea the ideas and the concepts um, they're really you know, really open to so you open your book with a reference to a military concept I don't know if it's VUCA or VUCA um, what could you sort of explain it and actually what this means for people working in HR yeah, so VUCA, um, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous, um, as you say, a military term came about during the Vietnam War. And it was when the American military realized that the old style of command, control, parent-child type approaches they'd taken just weren't working in this new kind of type of warfare. And it's been adopted by the business world and it's a bit cliched now, um, but I think it's a useful shorthand to really sum up just the multitude of changes that HR professionals are having to wrestle with, whether it's the kind of the big macro changes around AI or the gig economy or millennials, uh, whether it's about digital technology disrupting our business models, or whether it's just the kind of uncertainty that there is for um, employees now. Um, whether it's just the relentless pace of change, whether it's the need to be increasingly uh, productive or whatever it is, I think it's a useful shorthand. What I think it means for HR people is that whilst we look at these macro trends very often and we kind of think, oh, yeah, that's very interesting. But what we're not doing is translating that into changing our practices. So if you look at many of the practices that we uh, deliver today, uh, the annual engagement survey, the nine box grids for talent reviews, the bonus schemes, performance appraisals on an annual basis, most of those were kind of developed in the sort of 1970s, 1980s, and, and they haven't really changed all that much. 
So we've got the world around us changing, and yet we're keeping on delivering HR in the same way. And um, and as you know, because you, you've read the book, my, my um, sort of uh, assumption is that we can't keep saying that the world around is changing and yet delivering in the same way. We've got to do things very differently. And are you seeing organisations realising that they now need to adapt? Yeah, not not every organisation. I mean, for some, you know, they are still making money. They are they don't have any problems recruiting. Um, and so for those organisations, they are sometimes quite blinkered. But the vast majority of companies that I work with in every sector, in every geography, are really waking up to the fact that things have to change and be done differently. Sometimes it can be from the chief exec and the leaders who are saying, come on, is this it, really, and starting to question the established wisdom. Sometimes it's from the HR team themselves. Sometimes it's as a result of a, a, you know, a big disruption in their, in their business model or their customer base or their market share. Um, so it, the stimulus can come from a variety of places. Um, but yeah, I think there is a, a real um, awakening going on. You've um, you've developed a model in your book, uh, one that I think is is really helpful, and you almost sort of wish it doesn't have to be said, but you've got the model of employees <laughs> as, as adults, consumers, and human beings. Can you sort of share an explanation of what led you to these conclusions? Yeah, I mean, it does sound a bit basic, doesn't it? And uh, in many ways, it is. And I think the reason it's caught on is because it is so obvious in many ways. Um, I'll touch on each of them just briefly for, for the listeners who perhaps haven't read the book or who aren't aware of this model, but the each model really aimed to describe a new way of thinking. Um, so treating employees as adults, consumers and human beings wasn't just about leaping in and making some uh, small changes to your bonus scheme or, um, in, you know, increasing your annual engagement survey to twice a year and that kind of tinkering at the margins that we often do. It was about a fundamental rethink of the relationship between leaders and their employees and the role that HR plays. In terms of the adult one, it's really challenging the very parental dynamic that most organisations have. Um, if we think about um, you know, the way that we treat our people, we tend to think that almost the minute they cross the threshold that they cease to be capable of uh, making adult decisions and we treat them in quite a childlike way. You know, you just have to look, go into any uh, any toilet in your organisation and there'll be a notice there saying, mm -hmm. you know, please wash your hands. Um, and it's symptomatic of that kind of very caring, uh, want to look after our people, you know, it comes from a good place. But the downside is, is that it can create very passive employees and, and the environment where people aren't thinking for themselves. The other side of the parenting is the kind of critical parent where we have lots of rules and processes based around uh, the rogue employees who have done something wrong or might do something wrong in, in the future. But they're not the majority. The majority of people actually come to work and want to behave in a relatively decent way. You know, they're not coming to work to destroy the business. Um, and we see this in our processes, too. you know, the way we sit our, our um, employees down at the end of the year and give them an end of year rating like it's an end of school report. Mm -hmm. 
what this does is create a very compliant organization. So you've got this passive and compliant environment, but that's not what we need right now. We need um, our employees to be more agile, more challenging, prepared to take more risks, more creative in their thinking. If we're gonna get that, then we have to move to a much more adult to adult relationship. And um, you know, I can uh, share some examples of that with you, if you like, from kind of you know Netflix's approach to policy making, which is much more around using your judgment, like your expenses policy, do the right thing by Netflix. It's about changing your approach from one which is about leaders being the parents to one where employees own their own careers and their own performance. So we see Adobe who take an approach which says, we're not gonna sit you down at the end of the year and give you a mark. We expect you to own your own performance and to seek out conversations with your peers, your line managers, um, your team members about how you're contributing. So you own it in a, in a much more adult and grown up way. On the consumer side, um, this is a little bit different, I think. I don't think it's quite as obvious as perhaps the adult and the human side. But in, in HR, we've made a real virtue of one size fits all. We've gone for standardized, homogenized processes, which of course work well for the organization because they are streamlined, they're cost efficient. Um, you can um, put them on a system and automate them quite easily. But unfortunately, life isn't like that. You know, we're all so different and business businesses are made up with a, a mixture of subcultures um, where employees have very different. If we think about the way consumer organizations um, treat their customers, they do a number of things that I think we can learn from in HR. Firstly, they take a, um, an approach which is very data-driven, very much insight-led, not just the basics of how many have we got and how much are they costing us, but what are their preferences? What are they like? Um, what are their fears? What are their aspirations? And we're seeing more and more links with marketing teams where HR are really looking at who actually works for us in terms of their behaviors, their styles, their preferences, and trying to adapt their different offerings to suit these different needs. And that's the second part of consumer. It's about segmentation, it's about targeting, it's about customization. And the reason we need to do this is because we need to achieve greater impact with limited resources. Providing one size fits all in a standardized way isn't gonna achieve that. Customizing as much as we are able can be much more powerful in terms of cut through and impact of what we do. And finally, I think on the consumer side, it's really about thinking about the employee experience, not just um, this is the way that we do things here, but how are we creating moments of truth for our employees in the same way that you get moments of truth when you go into a retailer that are aligned to their brand. We need to create moments of truth for our people that are aligned to our brands and feel different and unique and special to us. So being really clear about what are the current experiences that we're providing for people, whether that be how they join the organization, how they're treated at the point of promotion or exit, um, and really ensuring that those moments of truth are holistic um, and uh, add up to an employee experience that is worthy of our brand and our values. Um, the final piece then is human and, and 
you know, it wasn't until I left the BBC and looked back at some of the things that I did, um, whether it be performance management, talent reviews, um, pay and grading structures, that so much of what we do in HR is, is, is providing processes that compensate for poor managers. Now, unfortunately, um, poor managers who don't give a damn about you know, their people and get no kick from seeing their people develop or have no interest in, in, in uh, managing them well, no process in the world is going to make them any better at it. Um, but what we've done is instead of focusing on the human interactions that we desperately need to create, for example, having a conversation about my performance, Instead, what we've done is these big, heavy processes, usually annual processes that uh, involve line managers having to fill out lots of forms, categorize their employees and so on. And what we've done is to put the emphasis on the process and is it working? Is it being um, complied with rather than focusing on the employee and human interactions? And we're seeing real changes in this space. So moving away from the annual performance review to uh, frequent check-ins and quarterly career conversations. We're seeing changes to the annual engagement survey to ones which are um, pulse-based, um, again, conversation-based. One client of ours, they send a text message to a sample of their employees every week with one question, just saying, how is work for you this week? Much more human. And of course, we see it very much in reward. Instead of these cumbersome annual uh, bonus schemes, we're seeing the emergence of uh, reward uh, approaches which are about surprising and delighting our people, personalised uh, thank yous, spot rewards, uh, team-based rewards. So we're seeing a real shift away from heavy, cumbersome processes that we feel good about because we're getting 98% compliance with and a much greater focus on how we can actually change human behavior by putting the human at the heart of it, understanding how human beings think, feel, behave, communicate, are intrinsically motivated and working back from that and shaping our approaches around it. Hopefully that gives you a bit of an overview. Sorry, it's a um, it's a bit of a short one, but but hopefully it just gives you a feel for the each model. That's fantastic. Thanks, Lucy. If we um, focus in on one area of the HR sphere that you've mentioned, which is reward, mm. I think it's fair to say that you completely shoot the current approach to pieces uh, in your book. Um, and actually, some of the expectations you might have about reward, i.e. that they reward people, have the complete opposite effect. You, you train <laughs> in some quite bad behaviours into people with the current approach. Is that right? Well, I, I just think that reward is one of the trickiest areas to get right, because in many ways we've treated it like a science. You know, if we pull this lever and we increase that bonus and we allocate money to this particular behaviour, then we're going to see uh, that it all works. And actually, reward is, of course, there's an element of science to it, but it's also an art form. And so great reward professionals have really got to try and find something that is manageable for the organization, feels fair, which of course is a hugely subjective um, aspect, um, but also is about um, motivating people when our individual relationship with money 
is very different. You know, you can have some people that really uh, want to get rewarded financially and are very money mo motivated. But when you under, um, when you kind of scratch underneath the surface, what you find is that that money is about security or that money is actually more about status and how I'm valued than perhaps just being interested in the cash. So there are so many different human um, behaviors and motivations uh, wrapped up with uh, with money that I think it's very hard to get right. What I think is interesting is that some of the approaches that we're beginning to see, which are moving away from these big cumbersome uh, reward schemes like bonus schemes, to, to, to approach it in a couple of different ways. Firstly, is just recognizing that to keep it really simple and get the issue of money off the table. So avoiding complicated bonus schemes and just paying people decently and paying people fairly and paying people as well as you can. Um, so very much the kind of Atlassian model who uh, you know got rid of bonuses. This idea that instead of reward happening at the end of the year, uh, in a way which is based on your annual rating to reward people at the moment where the behavior is identified. So in a so if somebody works really, you know, goes above and beyond and works really hard for, for a, a period of time, then you reward them immediately in, a, in either a, a cash payment or you do it through a gift and it, the, for the gift to be as personalized as possible. I was running a, a panel with um, a number of people from a big organization and there were seven of them on this panel and we asked them to remember the most um, uh, the best reward they'd ever had at work. Now there was one guy who had a million pound bonus so he mentioned that and fair enough you know if we'd all had a million pound bonus we'd all probably mention that one um, but the, everybody else talked about things that had almost no financial value um, you know, the thank you card from a boss who they knew was really busy, uh, an opportunity to work flexibly because they were struggling with healthcare, um, a piece of uh, development that they were able to go on and so on. It was, it was fascinating that the rewards we remember, the ones that motivated us, that made us feel good about the organization we work for, are rarely the letter we get three months after year end telling us what we've got as a bonus net after tax. Fantastic, thank you. So Lucy, you're speaking at Exchange on the 24th of May with us. Really looking forward to that, I am obviously. Really looking forward to it too. We're asking all of our participants today the same question. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. What do you think, and there's going to be lots of answers, I'm sure you've got to this, but let's just pick one. What do you think could be different about the workplace of the future? Oh, that's such a massive question, isn't it? I'm going to go for personalisation. I think that we um, have lived in a kind of an industrial model where working was about conforming. We had to go to one place, we had to work set hours, we had to work um, at a particular desk or machine, we had to abide by a particular employment contract and set of rules. Uh, we were treated in, in similar ways. And I think what we'll see is the ways in which we as human beings have grown used to personalization in our human lives increasingly 
being relevant in our work lives. You know, the ability to work in different places, uh, different places around the building, different time frames that suit us, working with different people in different ways, playing to our strengths, um, even personalized employment contracts I can see coming. So I think I want to go for personalization will be the biggest impact. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So you're speaking at Exchange. Is there anywhere else that people can find you if they want to come and learn a bit more? Yeah, so we've got loads of free blogs. If people want to sign up for that, um, they can find out how to do that on our website, which is www.disruptivehr.com. Fab, thanks, Lucy. So we'll see you in May. We can't wait. Oh, really looking forward to seeing you all. Thanks for today. Thanks, Lucy. Bye. Bye. listening and to Lucy for joining us. We'd love to have you with us on May the 24th. Along with Lucy, we've got world-class employers and leading thinkers to spend the day unpacking just what an exceptional employee experience looks like. You can see the full speaker lineup and get your tickets at the-eea.com forward slash exchange. And we'll be with you again soon for another episode. And as always, we'd love to hear from you with any comments or suggestions for guests you might want us to have on. You can reach us on hello at hellobenefex.com or send us a tweet. We're at hellobenefex and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>